It's time to take the edge off with the Edge Agency. Pour yourself a glass of wine, kick back and relax while we ask the tough questions and get down to the nitty gritty of being a business owner. All right. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so happy to have you on Take the Edge Off podcast. Um, We're kicking off season two with Sarah Anderson, author of a book that just launched called The Space Between Us, How Jesus Teaches Us to Live Together When Politics and Religion Pull Us Apart. What a hot topic. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited. Yes, we're so happy to have you. Um, So just tell us a little bit to kick it off. Um, What made you decide to write a book in the first place? And then just kind of tell us about this topic and why it's important to you and how this, you know, idea and passion came to life. Yeah, well, I've um, loved writing my entire life. I always thought I would be a passion, but I just never knew what I wanted to write about. Um, And then about four or five years ago, um, as you know, political tensions started to get um, more and more heated and the kind of civil debate seemed to be going away and it was more and more argumentative. I thought this is something that really needs. And um, given my upbringing, it kind of seemed like a natural fit. So I'm from um, just outside Washington, D.C. I grew up in a very political family. Um, my parents met working at the Republican National Committee. It was like in our blood from the very beginning to be involved in politics. And then my senior year of high school, my dad ran for president himself for the Republican nomination for the 2000 presidential election. And so my experience with my family growing up that close to D.C. and then just kind of um, being able to observe the political process from the inside with his experience running and and just kind of being on that side of things and not just a viewer um, really gave me an insight into how things work and um, how unhealthy things can be. Right. And so when things started to kind of move in a more unhealthy direction four or five years ago, I thought this is kind of a space that needs to be um, written into. And since we're not necessarily getting the leadership on how to do this well from our leaders and politicians, Mm -hmm. maybe it needs to start with um, the citizens, the people who are um, involved in the relationships where there's tensions and figuring out a way how to do this well. And so I wrote really just trying to communicate three basic messages. Um, With my dad and his experience, I really wanted to communicate that politicians were people too, because that was the thing that just really resonated with me and my family, that it was so easy to just see politicians as the views that they represented or these talking points or sound bites, and to forget that they had families that they went home to, or um, they had, you know, basketball teams they rooted for, you know, all these little things that make you a human. It was really easy to forget that. And so I wanted people to remember that. I wanted us to start to see each other as more than our political positions, because I think for a long time, it was easy to see politicians just as that. But lately, it seems like we're seeing one another just as our political positions and we're the sum of our voting decisions. And it Mm -hmm. seemed like that was not a healthy way to engage in relationships. And finally, Um, I didn't want us to write each other off because of those decisions. And so I wanted to make sure that we were still keeping relationships open and conversation and dialogue open, that even if we had disagreements and where we landed on political issues, that we were never saying or doing anything that wrote that relationship off, that there was still going to be a way forward um, and how we related to one another. Right. That is so, so good. How, (laughs) okay. How do you have these conversations 
with an open mind, like any advice or thoughts, because I know my family, <laughs> we have gotten into some heated debates, you know, yeah. the typical Southern story. It, and I'm just going to be very honest, because that's what we do here on Take yes, the Edge yes. You know, it's very Republican, yeah. Southern, and we have this younger generation coming in here challenging the process a little bit, but genuinely yeah. also wanting to have conversations. And Unfortunately, you know, at family events, we've said no political talk because, (laughs) you know, it's gotten a little crazy, but I think it would be great if we could all just have an open conversation. So what would you say to speak on that, I guess, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's pretty typical in terms of no one wants to talk about it. Right. But I think to a degree, that's kind of how we landed where we are. I think that talking about politics and having civil conversation is like a muscle. And when you don't use it, it atrophies. It's not like riding a bike where you just remember how to do it and you can pick it right back up. So I think our inability to talk about it on a regular basis has gotten us to this point that when we do talk about it, it doesn't go well because yeah. we've, we've forgotten how to do it. And I think you're right. You know, the tension that you're feeling in your family, I think, is the, is the pretty most common tension. It's mm-hmm. uh, the older generation and the younger generation kind of feeling at odds. And that was a big part of my story. You know, the book was my dad running for president, but then it was also me moving down to Atlanta and Mm -hmm. um, having my own kind of experiences and jobs and relationships and being like, I'm not sure if I, I buy into all the things that I had grown up believing anymore. And because my family was so involved in politics still, it wasn't like we couldn't not talk about it. It It's like so much a part of our lives that we had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I get that tension. And so for us, we just had to figure out a couple of ground rules really. Um, And probably the biggest thing is we really try to keep in mind our commonalities over our exclusivities. So we got to remember that we were family first before we were anything else. And, and the things that tie us together are stronger than um, the voting decision we make on November 3rd. And that's always going to be true. So I think it's just making a choice to elevate the things that we have in common. My family, we love stand-up comedy. We love good food. We love, you know, when all of us are together getting a babysitter for the kids and the adults going out and and spending two to three hours at a restaurant laughing and talking and telling stories and just remembering that there's so much more that ties us together. But also when it comes to the political side of things, um, you know, we might disagree when it comes to how different policy should play out or legislation, but all of us are operating from a place where we want the best for our country. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I can be generous in in giving them that motive, instead of you're out to destroy the country or anybody who disagrees with me is out to destroy the country. As soon as we can look at it and be like, we want what's best for our children, for the generation behind us. We think that might look differently and how that, that happens, but I want to be the most generous I can be in assigning you a motive that's good and positive for what you want from our, from our country and from our government. Um, but the other thing too is I, I've had to learn, I think all of us have had to learn, we don't need to attend every argument we're invited to. That's a good point. There, are some things that are just not worth talking about. And I think one of the problems in the current culture is we've treated every issue as a hill to die on. We feel like everything is something that we have got to plant our stakes in the ground and yeah. this is going to fight to right. death on. And like, it's just, like almost you're expected to make a statement on every single yes, topic. Everywhere. everywhere. You have to have an opinion. It's yeah. not helpful. Right. And especially knowing, you know, with when our families there are certain issues I just know this isn't going to change. I'm not changing anybody's minds right, and they're not right. going to change my mind. So what's the point? But if there are things that we can have a thoughtful conversation about, 
not necessarily an argument, but thoughtful debate, thoughtful mm -hmm. discourse yeah. where there's a willing, where there's a back and forth in exchanging ideas and not just frustrations yeah. and annoyances. Mm -hmm. I think that helps. Well, and this stuff can be very complicated. Yes. And I'll be the first to say, this is very confusing, especially when you get the media involved yeah. and this mm -hmm. outlet and that outlet and we're yeah. twisted. And I think that everyone is kind of scared to just say, you know, I don't know enough about this topic. Yeah. And I'm a little confused. Right. I really don't think I've ever heard anyone just blatantly say that, to be honest. It's like they right. just have to say what they right. heard or what they think right. or what their parents have said or what their neighbors said or it's like and it's refreshing yeah. to hear that to be yeah. like I don't know like think of how amazing it would be to have to hear a leader you know an elected official or not just be like I'm still working out what I think about that right like I would love to hear somebody say that. Yes. Yeah. Oh my the, gosh. these tools are so beneficial in with between politically with people who actually are the same party as well and mm -hmm. just life in general there are other yeah. disagreements religious political, you know, racial, all yeah. these different areas. And even just like your marriages and your friendships and being yeah. able to be open to what the other person is saying. And it may not always be the goal to convince the other person to change their mind. Like you're saying, it's more so just making sure they're heard yeah. and they yeah. in return, make sure you're heard. And it's like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. We can agree to disagree. And then move on. Yeah. Now, I think you totally nailed it by saying we're not trying to change each other's minds. I mean, I think right. there are some things that we can all agree on are bad ideas. You know, we are not for racism. That's a bad idea. Right. But when it comes to trying to change each other's mind, we're really, what we're trying to do is make people into our image. We want them to be us. Mm -hmm. And really that's not respecting mm -hmm. the differences that we all were born with. And so if we can go into a conversation with, I'm not trying to make you more like me, I'm trying to understand what makes you, you. Yeah. And then with, when that's the objective, it really kind of takes the emotion and the tension out of it in a positive way. And yeah. I can start to see more as a, a human and a person and not just a position I'm trying to convince. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that so much. That is good. Are there any um, topics in your book that you maybe left out or maybe you put in and you were like, oh, this is a little risky. I don't know if I should put this in there. Um, better let some people know that I'm writing this or anything that yeah. you held back because out of just, you know, because of the nature of politics and um, people knowing yeah. who you are, who your family is. Um, yeah. Did you have any of that? Struggle. I did. The past couple, the pa last couple of chapters were, um, I, every chapter was like kind of what our default reaction is to something and a better option in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So the last two chapters were, um, um, uh, certainty versus mystery and, um, expectation versus wonder. And so I think, which I think can be a scary thing to talk about in politics, but especially when it comes to faith as well. And so I really tried to write those chapters saying, what if, kind of what we were talking about earlier, what if we held more loosely to these things that we think or are so, we're so certain about, we think these are the absolute right ways to believe or to vote. And we just kind of let go a little bit. And, and there was more mystery around the idea of the best way to think about some of this stuff. And so for me, it was, um, it was, I, I, I wrote about it more from a religious angle, 
but just trying to leave room for people's stories to unfold the way that they do um, without the expectation that they should look a certain way because I think they should look a certain way or assume not assuming that someone's trajectory of their kind of, you know, growth or evolution as a human is going to unfold the way I think it should and just leaving room for that. And I think that's, that's really hard to do for people. I think it's really hard to embrace a sense of mystery um, and how, you know, God might be working in someone's life and what that looks like. Um, because I think we like a sense of certainty. It, it allows us to get away with doing less critical thinking because we can just be like, no, this is right. This is the way it goes and period, end mm-hmm. of story. But certainty on so many issues just closes door to conversations in relationships. And I just haven't ever seen that go super well. So to keep part of leaving the door open relationships for me was just learning to hold tightly to a lot of, to a few foundational ideas and then be really open-handed with the rest and to be like, I know what I know, but everything else I'm willing to learn and, and just approach humbly and, and know that there's more for me to learn. I love that. That's yeah. so good. You know, and that's just like such a great transition to what I've been curious to ask you just to talk about the Jesus piece in there. You know, I got on Instagram um, the past week or so, or really it feels like all the time now. And it just felt yeah. like everyone felt so doomed by <laughs> certain politicians moving certain places and who's going to get voted and right. who's going to take this yeah. seat and who's going to do that. And I sat back and as a, you know, kingdom minded Christian woman, I thought that is a lot of pressure for our leaders. And I don't want to rely on our leaders because they're going to mess up every time right. my, you know, reliability is on the King. Right. And I just, feel like people forget that and they truly do feel like it is the end of the world. So (laughs) how, I mean, how do we live as Christians with politics in our life as well? I mean, any advice or thoughts or. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's probably a couple of different things. Um, You know, I think as Christians, we tend to think that everyone should vote or think like we do down, you know, the, whatever party line that happens to be, because I think there's probably Christians on both sides that would yeah. say that yeah. Jesus is on their party. Yeah. But I think um, the thing to remember is that God hasn't called us to sameness, but he has called us to unity. And I think unity is the a harder piece because it's allowing room for our differences, but saying, I want us to be united in what we're after, but I'm not trying to conform you into something that you're not. And so I think that's a big piece of trying to understand how we work together and how we fit together um, in the political kind of world and our relationship world. But in terms of, you know, God's kingdom and, and our role in all of it, I I love seeing people encourage one another to get out there and vote and to register to vote and yep. that it matters. I think that's a big deal. But I think the danger for all of us, Christians or not, is to think that November 3rd is the finish line, that you vote and then it's done. But I think if the past four years have told us anything, it's that emotions are not going away after the election has been decided. Mm -hmm. That there's going to be an entire huge portion of the population, one way or the other, is going to be disappointed with how things turn out. And so relationally, our work is really just beginning and that it doesn't end there. And so, yeah, we can, we should have concern with how things are going to turn out politically. We should care about who gets put on the court and, you know, the kind of people that we're electing as leaders, but also we can't abdicate our responsibility personally to do what is 
entrusted to us to do with the relationships and our sphere of influence. So yes, get out there and vote. But the harder work is to pay attention to the relationships closest to you and to continue to pursue God's kingdom and our own individual worlds and not just put it off on the leaders who may or may not get elected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it's out of- That's so good. That's yes. such great advice. I love that so much. Yes. I know that we have some questions about writing and authors yeah. and kind of moving to that front. Cause Alex and I yeah. really maybe selfishly just want to pick your brain. <laughs> yeah. Switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, obviously you and I got connected because I wanted to pick your brain. She was recommended yeah. to me from a mutual contact and said, she just wrote a book. She's amazing. She can kind of share the process with you. So um, I was curious um, just what, first of all, what's it been like being a mom writing a book, you know, we're in the middle of a crisis. Do you feel like, um, you've managed to find some balance with it all or how are you juggling all those? Um, I'm not sure I know what balance is anymore. (laughs) A moving target. Great idea. (laughs) But, um, you know, I started writing probably four, four or five years ago. So it was not, it's not, was not a quick process. Right. And, you know, I think, um, anyone who's a mom or anyone who's really working a job, in yeah. addition to trying to write, knows that you are just trying to pull any amount of minutes from any yeah. place you can. Yes. Um, you're not sitting, you know, we have these visions, at least I did, wanting to write. I had these visions of getting a cabin in the woods and having a weekend to just <laughs> write yeah. and drink coffee all day. And it sounded magical. And I'm like, that's not real. And, yeah. and I don't, that's, no, I don't think that's real for anybody. I read um, several years ago, I read this book called The War of Art. And it was fascinating to me because it talked about an any creative endeavor, there is a resistance that we face. So for moms, you know, it's okay, I've got to like also like raise my kids and I'm like, you know, they need help with homework or homeschooling, like whatever it is. Um, If you're working a nine to five job, you have like other bills to pay. There's like these external factors, but there's also these very real internal resistances, you know, the self-doubt that we feel or the Mm -hmm. fear that we feel or who am I to, you know, speak into this message. And that book just made it super clear to me that, you know, my situation is not unique. And if, if, if I wasn't a mom and I had all the time in the world, it was, it wouldn't be that there were no more distractions. There'd be another set of distractions. Right. And so all of us are just trying to figure out how do we make the most of the time that we have and combat whatever form that resistance looks like in our life and, and just moving forward anyway. So I don't, you know, I don't want to make it sound like moms have it that much harder than anybody else. I think any everybody's facing their own kind of obstacle that's keeping them from writing. And everyone's got to figure out internally what it looks like to kind of beat it back and, mm-hmm. and get out there and start writing anyway. Because it's hard. It's really it hard. Is. Yeah. It's a discipline. Yeah, it's, it is. It, it is. Even just sitting down when you have no idea what you want to write and forcing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, it, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Or you, you know, you get like the half hour and you're like, but I have nothing to write, but I have 30 minutes and I don't write. Yeah. And then you're like, that's not long enough. I need three hours (laughs) to really get it flowing. But yeah. So tell us a little bit about like the publishing process. Um, Did you decide to go with a publisher or self-publish? And if so, why did you choose what you did? Yeah. So I, I self-published, but I did not intend to start that way. I, I got an agent. I ended up having two agents through the process. My first agent was probably 
it was before I'd actually officially started writing the book. I had an idea for what I wanted it to look like um, around politics and religion specifically. And the feedback I got um, from her was it felt too controversial. And she thought if I talked about it and um, just conflict in a more general sense, that it would be um, more palatable to people, mm-hmm. um, which may, may be true. But I felt for me, this was such a part of my <clears throat> personal story, I didn't want to give up on that aspect of it. And honestly, I just didn't have a lot of passion around other types of conflicts. I just yeah. had a lot around this. Right. Um, so we, you know, parted ways, I found another agent and um, the, the pushback, not from her, but from the publishers that she was presenting the book to. And this was after I'd already been written, you know, finished. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much done. Um, besides not having a, a big enough social media following was that it was not conservative conservative enough for conservatives or liberal enough for liberals oh, in the Christian yeah. publishing Wow, that's and, interesting. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, that's kind of the point of my book that like, we yeah, right. Just, you know, living in these echo chambers where we're hearing what we want to hear and not listening to anybody else. So um, I felt like at that point, I kind of had to make a decision, you know, I could, did I want to take the time to kind of build up a brand and, and kind of build up this social media thing or was the most important thing to me, this message I felt like I had that I felt like I still had ownership over my family's story, over the message that I wanted to communicate. And so um, I, I realized traditional publishing was going to be off the table and then I just had to make the decision, was I going to do the work to make it happen self-publishing? And in a lot of ways, I, I was lucky because it was an election year. So it really was like, okay, it's either this year or never really, or yeah. wait, you know? Right. So I felt like it kind of forced my hand. I could have kept putting it off forever, but deciding to do self-publishing, um, I think in the end was the best move for me because I got the final say and how the message of my family and how, Mm -hmm. you know, my personal convictions were going to be communicated because that, that was another thing. It was kind of like, well, you know, your dad's kind of a a well-known figure, but you know, he's not a big enough name. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to try to like create some kind of scandal or story to make it, you know, more entertaining. So, um, so yeah, I think it ended up working out for me in that way. I would not have said, I would not have chosen that on my own at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. but by the end, I felt like with how personal it was to me, it was the best call where I felt like I got to call the shots and how everybody was portrayed in my family and how the message was going to be communicated. Well, and I think that so many people feel like when they go with a big publisher, it's the dream and it, it holds yeah. your success, but that's not necessarily the case. There's pros and cons yeah. to each. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're less successful because you, there's so many pros of self-publishing. Right. So, well, yeah, yeah, I think I realized I was treating a publishing deal as something that I thought would validate me yes. as, as an author. And I'm like, that I could have gotten the publishing deal, but then it would, the finish line would have moved. Then it would have right. been something else that would have been right. So I think it really, it revealed a lot of the stuff I had to do in, internally to have a healthier perspective about what I was trying to do and why. Yeah. So it really uncovered a lot yeah. in that way. I love that. I did hear recently that um, authors who had self-published a book or two or three actually looked more appealing to publishers. So oh, really? If they end up writing multiple books, they're like, okay, she's already self-published once or twice. We know they're serious. Um, and they may get, it may have a little more weight behind it. Yeah. Um, so what's the plan for you for next steps? Are you, are you looking to write another book? Are you speaking? Are you, 
Um, yeah. I, I am open. I don't have a plan for another book. I would love to write one, but I feel like I'm back to where I was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. I just don't know about what. <laughs> um, but I feel like that's another thing that can sometimes happen in the traditional publishing world. You sign like a two book deal and then you've got the pressure, like I got to write, I've got to put something right. out yep. there. Right. It's not necessarily something you feel passionate about or right. you have a lot of energy around, but you feel the pressure to do it or you have to, like you're contractually obligated yeah. to do it. Yeah. So for me, um, I just want to keep feeling, um, I just, I want to feel connected to the message, no matter what that is, no matter what the timeline is. Um, I don't want to be forced to produce something that Mm -hmm. I don't feel passion behind. Um, I have loved being able to do more speaking and talking around this topic that has a lot, gives me a lot of energy around it. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm open to that, but what I'm not interested in is creating a path or a trajectory for myself professionally at the expense of my personal life and in turn, you know, my personal relationships or, mm-hmm. you know, personal development. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to set a finish line for myself when I don't feel like I'm, you know, capable of reaching it with where I am with my personal health or spiritual right. health, you know, yeah. all of that stuff. Right. So I'm just trying to pace myself and, you know, one step at a time and, Remember that every opportunity is a gift. And if I feel like I have something to to say, then I'm a steward of that message and doing right. what I can to steward that message mm-hmm. well. I love, I that. love that. I'm yeah. like holding on to that. That's a great message. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess just two more things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Final word on what are you hoping people keep in mind as this upcoming election mm-hmm. is getting closer and approaching? Yeah. Um, so many things. <laughs> Can we all stay sane? Yeah. Um, I, I love the work. Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist um, and, and writer, and um, he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind that I love. But he's been talking a lot lately about just kind of um, what's happening politically. And one of the things that he talks about is how we as humans think that we're rational creatures and we think that we're in pursuit of the truth, whatever that is. And he's like, but that's not true. We're actually instinctual creatures. We are led by our emotions. We're led by our gut and that we're not actually looking for the truth. We're looking for something to confirm what we've already thought. Right. And, and so I, I keep thinking about that because that's never been more easy to do than it is right now. Like we live in these self-made echo chambers. We can watch the news station. We want to watch to spin things the way we want them to be spun. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, the victims or the the results of the algorithms of the things that we click on yep. in the social right. media that we consume, and so I think I would want people to remember that we um, that we are living in echo chambers, and that we are a result of the things that we intake, and that I think knowing that allows us to think a little bit more critically about what we consume and how we consume it and how we think. But I think it also will allow us to be more generous in how we see other people and the way that they are acting because they're victims of their own echo chambers. So I think when we start to see that we are really just products of what we consume and what we're watching and and the beliefs that we um are seen reinforced in different areas. I think it allows us to to have a little bit more compassion in how we're and how we're seeing one another. And I think we can intentionally engage with people that live in the echo chambers that's that are different from ours. I think that's actually really helpful. As, as soon as we can put a human face on a different position than we have, 
um, it's a lot easier to engage. It's a lot easier to humanize, not demonize, not to write someone off, right. um, but to see him as a person. What a great message. I love it. Well, tell people where they can find you and where they can order the book. Yeah. Keep up with you. Yeah. Um, so the book is on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. So it's the space between us, um, how Jesus teaches us to live together when politics and religion pull us apart. And I'm on Instagram, SB Anderson and Facebook, Sarah B. Anderson. And my I have a website, um, sarahbanderson.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it so much. And thank you for having me all so much to keep in mind as this election nears. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Take the Edge Off podcast. We hope this gives you some insight into the nitty gritty world of entrepreneurship. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Edge Agency for podcast updates and more about what we're up to.